Hello, 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 Jean here. Come to Cabaret, the podcast. If you are watching this on uh, the YouTube channel, then please know that this is also available on audio. Search Confidence Through Cabaret anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're on podcast, then you can also check out the video version of myself and my wonderful guest, who I'm going to introduce you to in a second. That was on the Confidence Through Cabaret YouTube channel under the Vodcast playlist. So you can pick it up anywhere you want to. So let's get to the really important stuff. My fabulous guest today. Uh, this is our second conversation now. Uh, and I'm really excited to introduce you to Dory Roberts Stewart. So Dory is uh, the owner of Franchising Spot. And he went from being a high school teacher to going into you know a massive global brand in across 15 years and we're going to talk a lot about that and what that journey is like so for those of you that are looking to transition from where you are now to something else or to grow your business then this this episode is for you so uh, dory built a multi-million dollar business through franchising and we're going to talk about what that means um and then dory went on to sell her business in 2020 but she had 165 locations in 35 countries, folks. So that is crazy. And we're going to find out about what Dory's work is now and how she got to this point and everything in between. Welcome, welcome, Dory. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here as well. I, I, I didn't realize quite, you know, because we've spoken before and I didn't quite realize all of the the details of your career, you know, because most people, when they go into teaching, they might decide to, to go and, and take a corporate job if, if teaching isn't quite the right fit or changes, you know, but but you, you just went like full out, like. <laughs> <laughs> into a multi-million dollar business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it, it took quite a turn. <laughs> yeah. So how so how did that happen? Like did you just wake up one day and say I'm going to buy a franchise? No, no. <laughs> no. Did you ever buy a franchise or did you always start your own? No, so I it, it I started a business first and then I ultimately franchised it. Yeah. Yeah, so I was a high school engineering teacher and I taught for 10 years. And throughout that time, I was also the advisor of the school's Technology Student Association, which is this club where I would take kids to various competitions around the country. And during that time, I had my own children and my own kids would come after school to my club meetings and you know it, it it was a volunteer thing as a teacher i didn't get paid to do it so i would go pick up my kids from school bring them back to the high school and they kind of grew up watching what my high school students were doing and so they wanted to participate as well and at that time now this is back in 2008 engineering was not taught in the elementary schools and so i would see what was in the curriculum and now to get, kind of go back a little ways, my undergrad degree is in elementary, middle math and science education, and my master's degree is in technology education. And so because I had that education background, I was able to take what I was teaching my high school students and change it up to make it more developmentally appropriate for the elementary age kids. So 
I got a flyer home in my son's backpack one day that was asking for parent volunteers to teach an after-school program at their school as a fundraiser for the PTA. And so I took a civil engineering, um, some civil engineering curriculum that I was using with my high school students. I changed it to make it developmentally appropriate for the elementary kids. And I taught a civil engineering after-school program. And I thought, okay, you know, no one's going to sign up for this class. You know, I'll be lucky if I get a few kids, but my own kids will be in the class. So we're all good. <laughs> and the class filled up and the teachers loved it. The administrators loved it. They asked me to come back. And I had some parents at the end of the six, it was a six week program, um, come up to me and ask what else I had to offer. And I thought, oh, this could be a business. Let me let me see what I can do with this. And so I decided to change up my curriculum. I added all the different fields of engineering. So I started offering aerospace engineering, electrical engineering, you know, all the fields of engineering, added, you know, robotics and coding with game design. And I taught a summer camp and I thought, you know, this is a great side hustle for me. You know, I can do this, you know, with my kids when they're off in the summers and after schools. And it took off. And I ultimately, after a year of doing this as a side hustle, I quit my teaching job. I started doing this full time because the, the neighboring counties were contacting me, asking me to offer programs in their schools. And so I was growing. <laughs> and after about probably a year and a half, two years into it, I started getting people contacting me from all over the world asking me if I would sell my curriculum or saying, hey, can you bring this to Chicago or do you have any plans to bring this to Atlanta? And so I started looking into different business models and started thinking about, okay, what is the best way to grow my company? And I ultimately decided that franchising was the best business model because you really need that owner operator that knows their own community best. And so by the beginning of 2012, the first franchise uh, location began operating. And over the next span of the next 10 years, uh, it grew to 165 locations in 35 countries. And yeah, it's so it's, it wasn't something that I decided, oh, hey, I'm going to go start a franchise. <laughs> it just kind of like, just kept growing step by step, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. But it, it didn't just keep growing. It didn't just happen. It didn't just, you know, these things that seem unplanned. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what I think when you're looking at someone like yourself and, and people will be and going, I wish I could do that with my business, with my passion. And, and I, I think what we underestimate, oh, it's so easy for Dory because she just, it just happened for her. <laughs> um, and the same with me, I didn't, I had no intention of starting my business 26 years ago. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, just, it, it just <laughs> happened. I didn't have a job and people started offering me work and then it became a business. You know, it's that. Yeah. But I think in your case, um, there's a, there's a key moment there where you're spotting an opportunity. So you're, you're, your, the goodness of your heart is helping others and, and doing the, the initial program mm -hmm. and then spotting that as a side hustle 
and then spotting that as something that could get momentum to allow you to to leave and and follow a passion that was different to teaching so i think there's there's those kind of moments when you could have gone yeah i'll just keep doing this as a summer camp or yeah i'll just keep you know or yeah you know what i'll just give away my curriculum or i'll, <laughs> I'll sell it for a hundred bucks or you know yeah. there were lots of decisions that you made when you spotted an opportunity mm -hmm. and I, I wonder if you even have the insight into how should others spot an opportunity yeah i think um something that kind of fueled me to grow is when i saw the magic happen in what i was doing and so there was, you know, kind of that moment where I, you know, the first program I taught and I didn't know if this was going to work. I didn't know if elementary kids were going to, you know, catch on. I knew it worked with my own kids, but I didn't know if, you know, all, all the other kids were going to going to like it. But there was that moment of magic, you know, and I saw the magic in the kids and their their reaction to what I was doing. And then I saw the magic in the parents. And I saw that the parents really valued what I was doing. One, their kids were having a good time and wanted to come back. And two, the parents saw this as something wonderful for their kids' future. And so it was those two components that really was kind of the light bulb of, I, th I think I have something really special here. And once I kind of realized that, it just had me flying out of bed every morning, you know, wanting to work on the business, you know, and I get up at 4am because my kids got up at 7am. So I mean, my kids were young. I mean, they were like ages six and eight. So they were at that very, those busy ages. <laughs> and so I needed the time while, you know, they were still asleep and before I went to my teaching job. And so I'd fly out of bed, I'd, I'd get, you know, a solid three hours of work in every morning to work on building the the business but i think i had that just really strong conviction in this is going to be big and every child needs this i really felt that deeply that all kids needed to experience what i had created that's beautiful and it is such a parallel to anybody listening who is starting or has their own business where they have a passion and they've identified their niche, their, their target audience. And, you know, that would be the same for you would be, you know, that your target, everybody in that target audience needs this, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I think, um, it would be really easy to go, oh, yeah, but I don't work with children, you know, or what, do you know, because we're really good at putting up all these like, <laughs> excuses of why Dory can do it and everybody else is is finding that difficult. Um, and I love what you've shared because you had a difficult time too, right? It didn't just happen. Um, it You got up and did the work at 4 a.m. I mean, <laughs> that's- Well, crazy. yeah. I mean, I I didn't have- a business background. I'd never owned a business before. I, you know, I was a engineering nerd, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't go to school for, for business. And so, yeah, I had to, I had to do a lot of work. Um, I had to, 
uh, talked to a lot of people who had, you know, kind of been there, done that. And I made a whole lot of phone calls and, you know, the internet wasn't what it is today and there weren't Facebook groups back then and so a lot of support online. And so I just cold called <laughs> any, you know, franchise consultants or people who had franchised their business and went to every convention I could find and read every book I could get my hands on and, you know, ultimately found a a franchise attorney, a woman who was super kind and, you know, helped guide me through the legal side of things. But franchising, especially back then, only about 10% of founders in the franchising industry are women. And so, you know, finding people who really wanted to give me advice without charging me a lot of money for it. It was very hard to find. (laughs) So what made you sell it in 2020? So I had been given offers for years. Um, Franchising is very attractive to um, uh, venture capital firms and, and private equity groups are constantly trying to buy up franchise companies. And most franchise companies are owned by private equity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mine was one of the few that wasn't. And I kind of always knew that it would be because, you know, there's a very large inflection of money when you get to that point. And that's when, you know, really, really rapid growth, you know, comes into play. And so I had been contacted for years and I always turned them down because they want to kind of, um, flip it. They're not really interested in staying with it. They want to pump a bunch of money in, grow, you know, buy a whole bunch of locations, and then five years later, sell it, you know, make their returns on their investment. And so in 2019, I was contacted by an ed tech firm uh, based out of Canada who had four other franchise brands under their belt. And they were looking for a STEM company to add to their portfolio, and they wanted to keep it. And they wanted to grow it and they wanted it, you know. And so the the values aligned in that respect. And I was on the fence. You know, I was kind of every day changing my mind. Am I ready? Is it time? I, I knew that I would I would end up selling it at some point, but I just didn't know if the timing was right. And then 2020 hit, the pandemic hit, after school programs were non-existent, summer camps were non-existent, everything that we were doing was in person. And this firm had the technology to take everything virtual, which would have cost me a lot of money to, you know, convert all of the curriculum, all the programs. It's basically creating brand new curriculum because everything that we were doing was very hands-on. I mean, we're building rockets, we're, you know, building bridges. And so uh, the timing was right. Once the pandemic hit, I was like, you know what? And, and, you know, I think the the pandemic kind of had us all re- thinking (laughs) a lot of things. And it's just the timing, the timing worked out. It was a great offer. And um, I stayed on for for about six months through the transition. And, you know, it's time for me to move on. I love that, that it's, you know, we, a lot of times we think I'm aspiring to this. Now I've got this and then I'll want this forever. Mm. But it's never 
ever about the destination. It's like if it's if it's time it and maybe maybe that's the gift of COVID for you, right? Mm-hmm. Is just that it was you've done this thing now. I always I always raised my children to 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 think about um, whether you have a job or, or a business, you need to be gaining growth from it. Mm-hmm. And let's say it's an employer because that's where most young people start. They get a job somewhere. Um, if your employer is having you on a hamster wheel where you're doing the same things over and over and over again, and there is no growth and there is no opportunity to move elsewhere in the business for growth then it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. And I've told them to never feel like their job was their possession. And then, and then that's, that's security and I must never leave. I mm-hmm. said, so you, you need to move because you need to be getting growth. And I, actually I have a son right now who's, who's in that, in, in that position. He's hitting two years and he's like, it's because what, what I have experienced in, in businesses because uh, I that's literally my job is to go into businesses and and um and consult with them about their their training and and coaching and my what I've observed is there are an awful lot of people with twenty five years experience, but it's one year experience twenty five times mm. and it's not yeah. the same. when when I was an expat, I used to be um head of a global airline uh, head of training for a global airline and in the Middle East. and when I was an expat, that was full mm. of people who went, I have twenty five years experience. Why do I not have your job? And I, I would say, because you don't have 25 years experience, <laughs> it, you would not be here. Yeah. And, and it's that, right? It's that, it's that bit where, you know, maybe for Dory, it was, okay, where's this going to go? It's kind of reached its thing. And now it's time to pass it off. Yeah. Yeah. It was time. And I think it's really beautiful that you ethically sourced a buyer. Mm-hmm. I really do. Um, I, Again, we've worked with a lot of a lot of organizations owned by private equity. It's a pretty ruthless road to milking the profit mm-hmm. and cutting it, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I, think I mean, I spent so much time building it and it wasn't something that I just built. I mean, I built it with my kids. I I built it through a divorce. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was really, um, it, it, I had a lot invested in what I built, you know, and I, I wanted it to grow without me. And, it, and, and I love seeing what the business is doing, even though I'm not a part of it. One of my best friends uh, still works for the company. And so, you know, I, I, I want the franchisees to continue to, you know, run a great company. And so I couldn't, I couldn't just build something and then just let it go and see it fall to pieces. That would break my heart. You're, it's almost like you're describing one of your children. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> through it and then it's time to let it go and you can't hold on to it if it's not serving that business's best interests your friend that's a really great analogy i never thought of it that way but you're right because you think about it you you know you you could have given it to private equity um mm-hmm. you you 
you could have, oh, not given it, obviously, but uh, you mm -hmm. could have sold it to private equity. You could have uh, tried to ride the COVID wave because we all thought it was only going to be a few weeks. Right. <laughs> um, you could have tried to, you know, uh, find the investment to turn it all online and, and change it. But then it, it's a different, it's a different beast then, right? It's yeah. not it's not the thing that you raise. So, mm -hmm. so it's almost like that, you know, when, when it's time to let your children go mm -hmm. and then you let them and you, and you have the pleasure of watching them kind of flourish in the world. Yeah. yeah. I love that analogy. That's great, <laughs> but you're right. It's so true. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, you know, it's, I mean, you'll, you'll do the same with your children and you'll do the same with even, you know, even things like, and I, we, I haven't got your approval to talk about this, but I'll talk about my own. I've had I've had two marriages. Um, one mm -hmm. of them, I would say, you can't say it's failed because he passed away. But um, but if he hadn't have become ill and then passed away in 2019, then uh, I it, it wouldn't have stood at the test of time. So mm -hmm. um, so I so I I can comfortably say kind of one definite failed marriage. But but I don't consider them failed. I consider them like they're that did that had its moment and it had its time and mm -hmm. then it was time to move on to something else yeah and then you know for me that happened again and and then he passed away but it was time to move and it's taken me three years to move that piece but you know we we move and that's all part of that kind of it informing who we are mm -hmm. and you letting your beautiful business go and be and exist with the franchisees and and survive covid and you know be with the people who could take it online and all of that is just fantastic i i'm i'm really quite emotional about your journey even though you know we're not talking about anything like we're talking about a business here but business is personal yeah very personal very yeah i mean it's you're you're living through it you know, and you're living with it. And so, yeah, it's, it's very personal. Mm. So what did you do then? Did you have a really long holiday? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so like I said, I stayed on for six months through, through a transition. And then I decided I was going to start a podcast. <laughs> And I decided that I was going to help other people in the franchising world. And I specifically love helping women because it wasn't easy for me. And there aren't a lot of women in franchising, especially on the franchisor side. It's it's still a very small minority. And so, yeah, I, I help people either take their business and franchise it like I did, or help people find franchises. Since I was on the other side of that, I know what franchisors are looking for in a franchisee. And I know that the process is a long one and there's a lot to it. And so I kind of coach people through that process of finding franchise companies that are the right fit for them. Because there's thousands of franchises out there and it's, you know, spans all sectors. And so um, I, I just, you know, have decided to dedicate my time helping others through that process. It's beautiful. And what uh, if you if you if you're listening to this, you, you have to remember that Dory said, like, I didn't have a business background, right? Like, I was, <laughs> I was in the engineering stuff. And then and then now all of a sudden, 
Dory has gone to the other side and is now <laughs> helping people build business. So the 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 growth of your journey is just so fantastic because the thing you struggled with is now your business. Yeah, it it's it's so interesting how it turned out that way and you know each stage of growing my business was another learning experience for me. You know, each stage of growth brings new challenges and brings new things to learn. And, you know, I ultimately got my certified franchise executive credentials. And, you know, so I, I have a lot of formal training now, but I had to learn kind of as I went because, you know, I was responsible for hundreds of franchisees who were relying on me to build a business and they had families to feed and they had employees. And, you know, I just kind of immersed myself in the industry. And so I love that I can share my experiences and help other people. I love that. That's, 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 a, that's a wonderful kind of, you, you, I won't say go gone full circle because that would be back to high school teaching, but <laughs> you've gone on this journey that you could never, you know, people talk about business plans. I was, I was working with a, a client earlier today and they were talking about, you know, I haven't done my business plan and I, you know, and I, it's like, you can't, you could never have planned this. Like yeah. <laughs> you could never ever have planned this. Um, yeah. And I, what would you say is, biggest lesson that kept you going throughout mm. lesson that kept me going mm. um that's a that's a good one i hadn't thought of it in that way but i think what kept me going is knowing that i was building something that was impacting so many people you know i mean we're talking franchisees, their families, their staff, their families, and then all the children. I mean, we reached over a million students through this. And so though I felt a, a, a great responsibility to all of those people, and that's that's what kept me going. Um, in terms of, of lessons, I mean, there were so many lessons along the way. Um, but really, I didn't realize that I was thought I was going to miss and I, and I did. I thought I was going to miss teaching high school students because I really loved being a high school teacher. And I did miss my high school students, but I was still teaching just in a different way. You know, I first it was at first I wore all the hats, of course, like all, um, for, you know, new business owners. And I taught the kids. But then when I started franchising, I'm now teaching the franchisees, you know, so I ended up just kind of my role just kept changing, you know, as the business grew. And that's a great lesson because a, a lot of times we like to do the things that we know. Mm -hmm. And then we either buy in the, the resource to do our marketing or write our copy or whatever it is. Um, and we don't learn that. And I, I'm a firm believer that you have to learn the thing. If, if you're going to outsource it, you at least have to know what it is before you're going to give it off to, to somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think 
when we do that, we get stronger, we get more in touch with our, our business. And ultimately, it's kind of, um, it feels to me like you were, uh, you know, we're, on the one hand, you're, you're connected with your students, and then you're connected with the people in your program. And then you're connected with the franchisees who are connected with the people in their program. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it, it's sort of sounding to me like people who, when they start off in a, in a small community or group on, on social media and they, you know, they, they have that group and they have that interaction. They reply to every single one of the comments that everybody mm -hmm. puts in. And then all of a sudden there's 10,000 people in their community or their group, and then they can't possibly, yeah, you know, it's yeah. that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that was actually really hard. When I first started franchising, you know, my first 10 up to up to the first 20, they would call me on my cell. They had my cell phone number. The franchisees would call me in the middle of a class. <laughs> hey, Dory, I need help with this. Or, you know, can you help me with this, um, you know, publication or whatever. And I, you know, because I was still wearing, I had staff at that point, but I was still wearing a lot of the hats and they still had access to me. And as the business grew, it no longer was feasible for the franchisees to all have access to me. And so that was a really big growing pain that the business had to get to get through because those first 10, 20 franchisees, they did not understand <laughs> why they couldn't just <laughs> call my cell phone whenever they wanted, like they could in the beginning. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that that means that there's a change of boundaries there, isn't there? Yeah. There's a change of you know where it was fine before and now it's not because it's grown. Mm -hmm. How do you communicate a boundary and get people to respect it? Ooh, it's really hard. It's really hard. I had to have a lot of one-on-one, heart-to-heart -on -one, conversations with people, and I found that that was kind of the cure to 99% of all issues that we had in the franchise system. And, you know, it's one of the hardest things about being a franchisor is the franchisor franchisee relationship. It's really hard. You know, they, they come on board and they're in the toddler stage where they need you every five minutes, you know, it's very hands-on. And then they start to get comfortable. They start to get confident in their business and they're growing. And then they have, you know, kind of the, the teenage rebellion stage where they're, <laughs> you know, kind of like, I don't need you anymore. Why am I paying these fees or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then they get into the maturity stage where they start to really respect what you're doing. And they really, at that point, become part of the team and become visionaries right alongside you. And they help you grow because they have that, okay, it's not all about me anymore. Let's think about what's best for the system. Because, you know, it really is like having 150 teenagers, they all think that what their problem is, is everybody's problem. And they want you to stop everything you're doing and focus only on what their need is. But that may not be the need of the entire system. So franchising is is quite complex in terms of relationships, but 99% of the time, all problems were cured with a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. And the the I I did have a situation where I had a franchisee who was very upset with me, did not understand why I was 
doing what I was doing. I had an initiative that I put out and he felt like I was wasting my time and I should have been doing what he wanted me to do. And you know what I did? I hopped on a plane and I flew to Chicago and I spent a couple of days in his learning center with him. And we sat down face to face and we worked it out. And I feel like 99% of all issues in business, whether it's with a customer, a franchisee, an employee can be done with a face-to-face, heart-to-heart conversation. This is wonderful. I'm I'm really strongly hearing the family analogy. I'm writing oh. in my head for you right now, Dory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done this before, but I really feel like it's it's very it's very clear, you know. And I I, I think you know not not everybody relates to the the parenting thing or or relates their own business to it. But you know, just just the way you're talking about the development stages. Mm-hmm sitting down and having the conversation, you know, having the boundaries, you know, being honest and open about changes in those. These are all things that we have to do, whether we have a business or a family or, mm-hmm. or, or a job. I think, I think when we're full-time employees, it's a little bit different mm-hmm. because uh, your, your workload is somewhat determined by others most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, and the criteria and measurements are as well. Um, you have a set contract to do this on this day and you get paid this on this day. And it, it you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's a set thing. But um, I think once we get into the business world, mm-hmm. whatever that is, yeah. it, does, it does require those, those conversations and that development and, you know, all kinds of things that you never saw coming. Yeah. And if you're not really clear on your own boundaries, how are you going to have clear boundaries with your clients? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't get it right, you know, right off the bat. I had to, you know, go through some, some situations to figure it out, but it's leadership, right? Whether it's leading your family or leading a business. Um, and, and, you know, we don't all get it, get it right, whether it's in parenting or in business ownership right away, but if you can learn from it (laughs) and do better then you know, that's, that's everything, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So how do I know if I'm the right candidate for uh, you? I'm now see, okay. (laughs) You know what I'm like? I'm just now picturing your life as a matchmaker. Yeah. Right? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm basically a matchmaker. You yeah. are basically a matchmaker, but not yeah. for, not for uh, people in romantic, people in business. Yes. Your business business matchmaker. Business matchmaker. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're sitting here going, "Why is she doing this to me?" No, okay. it's true. You're absolutely how right. You, how how do you? Okay, so I so I want to have a. I think I want a franchise, mm-hmm. uh, which is I presumably how I would come to you. Mm-hmm. So then, what happens? So I do a lot of fact finding with you and I actually have a quiz that helps me with this. And so it's just a 15, 20 minute quiz that my um, clients take. But what it does is it helps me figure out a few things. Um, One really important thing is how risk averse you are. So are you the type of person that wants to be in on the ground floor at a with a new franchise company? Are you that type where you wanna be part of those beginning 
decisions, you like the excitement, you like the risk, and you you want to be in, you know, at the beginning? Or are you someone who just that makes you uncomfortable? You want the tried and true. You want a business that's been around for 30 years. They've got systems in place. You don't want any drama. And you just want, you know, plug and play. Just tell me what to do and I'm I'm gonna do it. And so there's that's there's a lot to that. You know, a lot of people who are just the type that that doesn't want to make a lot of decisions and wants someone to tell them what to do and they they're you know okay tell me what to do and I'll do it and I'll I'll be a success there's a certain type of franchise for them and if that bores you to tears then you want to be on the ground floor of something and so you know there's a lot of different types of franchises there's a whole financial fit there's a fit in terms of what you want to spend your days doing and how many hours you want to work. You know, I'll give you an example. I was working with a client who wanted um, to get in with a senior care franchise and senior care franchises are killing it right now. I mean, they're huge. They're making really good money. Their financials are very strong and that's due to COVID. You know, um, people want to keep their parents in their home. And so caregiver agencies are, are very popular right now. And so I was working with a client and I was asking, you know, what is it that you want to spend your days doing? Well, I just, I really like the senior community. I like spending time with seniors. I just really get along with them. And so then my response is, okay, you're not going to be spending your time with seniors. You're going to be spending your days with part-time employees, you're going to be spending all of your time hiring <laughs> and managing employees because that's all they do. <laughs> you know, they're placing people, they're placing caregivers in, in homes. And so she was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to deal with employees. And well, let's move on to something else. <laughs> We need to look at something else. And so a lot of people think even, you know, with education, oh, I want to get into, a, you know, a tutoring company because I love teaching. Okay, well, you're not going to be the one actually doing the tutoring. It's kind of similar to the senior care. You're going to be working with employees and you're going to be working with part-time employees and part-time employees don't show up and they quit. And, you know, <laughs> so it's so there's there's those kinds of fits. Uh, so kind of take all the different categories and, and then match them with the franchise companies. And then I like to narrow it down to three to four that fit their criteria. And I present those three to four and usually we narrow it down to two. And then at that point I introduce them to the franchisor and then it's a cultural fit at that point, you know, and, and after talking to the franchisor, you know, do our values align? You know, is this a company that I can I can get behind? And that is usually the final feeling. It's kind of that gut feeling. It's not really something you can, you know, take a test for. Uh, and that's usually the last part of the decision-making process. Beautiful. So are there any franchises where you're not hiring staff and leading and managing staff? Uh, yeah, there are some where it's structured that it's big enough where you would have managers, you would be you would be dealing with a manager, and the manager would be dealing with more of the part time staff. Um, but there's vending machine franchises. <laughs> you don't have to deal with much staff there. 
Ah, yes. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's, they're all different and it, and it depends too, if you're dealing with employees that are full-time employees, that's easier than dealing with staff where it's part-time employees. So it, a restaurant is hard with part-time employees. If you have a, if it's a franchise where you're dealing with skilled labor and you're dealing with full-time employees, it's easier because mm -hmm. these people have, it's, it's a, it's a trade. So think of like automotive franchises, you know, those are sometimes easier to keep someone staffed because they're, you know, it's full-time hour. So they don't, they don't quit as often as part-time. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So here I'm in the UK right now. And in the UK, uh, pubs are, are a big franchise or, mm. um, and, and most, uh, pub, uh, franchise owners end up working an awful lot of hours mm. every yeah. day and yeah. partly because of part-time and partly because of turnover, you know, that's how they're going to get ahead financially and, and, and mm -hmm. be able to, to eventually hire staff. But, but that's, that's, um, that's the only example I could, I was able to think about where you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily spend all your time dealing with staff. You'd be behind the the bar pulling pines really yeah and it's not it's not like in north america where it's a bar and you you might be making some cocktail it's just it's pulling pines gotcha. you know? gotcha. so um, yeah so you have to you'd have to really want to just chat with your with your customers but how do you find the franchisors are you just so, a, a, a massive listing somewhere yeah yeah so uh i have a database of franchisors yeah and so within my database, I can, it's almost like um, a, a housing database. I kind of compare it to a real real estate agents finding a house for someone. You know, I'm finding, you know, a business for someone. So there's a database and the database uh, helps me sort it easily. So I can sort it by, you know, financial investment, um, different things like that. Uh, and so that's, that's really helpful because <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the right fit is, is, is such an important thing. Um, it's everything because you're in a relationship between five and 20 years, you know, you're signing a contract and it's not easy to get out of that contract. It's very hard to get out of a franchise agreement. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in terms of having confidence to do that. Um, if I, I, so I've got my relationship with you, we figured out what I want to do. And do, do I just rely on, on other than the fact that I, it's about my, how I feel about the fit. Do I just rely on the fact that you think it's a good idea? Like, where does my confidence come from? Cause I've never been in this, I don't know, toilet cleaning services mm -hmm. business before. So how do I, how do I, like when I started my own businesses, mm -hmm. I, I've known what they are, do you know? Mm -hmm. So I've known that I have a passion. I've known that I'm a lot. Now, some of that you explained that you would, you know, tease that out and, and get that clear. But mm -hmm. how, how do I know? Like, you know, cause you've been there, Yeah. but why just rely on your experience and hope that no. Not just, not just me. No, that's a really, really, really good question. There's two, two things. One is the franchise agreement. And in the US, there's a franchise disclosure document that is required by law to include certain things. So 
required by law to include if the business has ever been through a bankruptcy, if the business has ever been through litigation. In that document is a list of every franchisee that has been a part of the system. So that could be people who have left the system, people who are currently in the system. And so the first part is really reading that franchise disclosure document. It's very boring. It's over 100 pages, but reading it. <laughs> and then the second thing is getting on the phone and calling as many franchisees as you need to, to feel comfortable. And for some people, they only need to call one or two. Some people have confidence in themselves and they feel like, okay, I'm going to call one, but I know me and I know I'm a hard worker and I know I can make it work. That's okay for some people. Some people want to call 10. And I always say, call as many as you need to until you feel comfortable and call not just the people that are successful. Call the people that are not successful. Call the people who have left the system and ask them why they left the system and how they were treated when they left the system and after they left the system. You know, what? It, how, do, how do they feel? Do they feel still feel positive about the company or do they have, you know, some really negative feelings towards them? So I'd say those two things. And no, never just take my word for it. Um, it is completely up to them and call as many existing and former franchisees until you have that confidence that, okay, I feel like I've asked all the questions. Now I help them with questions because a lot of people don't know what to ask. And so I'll help them, you know, through that process. But yeah, no, the more people they talk to, the better. So you're really a very full service business. This is beautiful. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been on the other side of it. So I, you know, I understand, you know, I understand that there are always going to be people who leave the system unhappy, but I also understand why, mm -hmm. you know, and, and if you ask the right questions and then if they tell you why I can help it make sense either in the good or the bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's that. I mean, I, I would imagine that's better than going it alone and trying to just kind of find your way, fumble your way through it. Mm -hmm. I want to flip to the other side um, before before we um, before we wrap up. I how do I know if I have a business that is franchisable? But in other words, that I could be a franchisor. I love this question. I love this question for because when I decided to franchise my business, I was told that it was not franchisable. <laughs> I was told, don't do it. It's not franchisable. The only reason your business is successful is because of you. It can't be easily replicated. So that, and, and I knew that they were wrong and that I was right because I knew that it was replicable. And that's, that's the answer right there is, can you easily recreate what you have created in your town can it be created and copied basically in another town and be successful without you? And if that answer is yes, then it's franchisable. And I was told that my business was not, and they just didn't understand what I was doing. You know, it was brand new. I was in a brand new category. And so it, people were like, you want to teach engineering to kids as young as four? Okay, you're crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, do very well. I promise you. 
parents around the world want their four-year-olds to learn engineering, I promise. And they were like, okay. <laughs> okay. And so people can come to you if they think that they have a, a potential franchisable business. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I love this because I really wanted for people to understand what it is that you do. I think it's really frustrating when you're listening to a podcast and you're like, I don't get it. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I really appreciate you talking us through that. Um, especially mm -hmm. if, if people are, are thinking about it or had never thought about it and are now thinking about it, you know, just to really understand that. And before we find out about where people can find you, and we absolutely will, um, <laughs> I just wanted to ask you a couple of cabaret questions, if that's okay. Oh, okay. This is confidence sure. in cabaret. It's so, okay. um, <laughs> so I wanted to, to bring this back to our source of energy and power and, and courage and unapologetic you know, learning and going for it and driving. Um, and I do that with these, these uh, questions. And my first question is about um, how, if you were performing cabaret, what would you be performing? So I've, I'll give you that second to think about that while I explain to any listeners and possibly Dory herself, what cabaret is in my terms. So cabaret is uh, anything that is in a small intimate venue. So if you think about comedy clubs, most comedians started in little comedy clubs. If you think about, you know, I bet Midler often talks about singing in clubs and, you know, back alleys and all kinds of things, you know, um, little clubs where you have quite an intimate connection with the audience. Now, cabaret can be singing, it can be dancing, it can be burlesque, it can be uh, contortion, it can be comedy, it can be, it can be a combination of those things. It can be drag, it can be all kinds of different things. And some shows would have a mix of those kind of acts. Some shows would be specifically around burlesque or around drag or around, you know, a, a comedy. Um, and so, uh, you know, when you see probably the most famous uh, burlesque artist on the planet is Dita Von when you see her act, her act is in a huge venue. So it is still a cabaret style routine, but it is done outside of a cabaret. So I'm not going to put you in front of a hundred thousand people or whatever it is. I'm not going to put you in the Royal Albert Hall with, you know, the Royal <laughs> family, uh, just in a small venue what cabaret performance would you do if you were doing a cabaret performance? Uh, so, okay. So you mean like, would I be singing or dancing or all the things that you listed? Or whatever, uh, <laughs> or a combination. Oh, okay. For you. I would not be singing because <laughs> <laughs> I only sing to my dog. <laughs> I'm that bad. <laughs> I'm here, I'm here. I mean, as long as you can, as long as you know you can sing, it doesn't have to be for public consumption. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, I was a cheerleader in high school and college, so <laughs> I'm a little bit coordinated. So if I were to be put on a stage, I could probably learn a dance routine. I don't know. It's I'm not I'm not quite so bendy as I used to be. <laughs> many years ago nobody is <laughs> nobody is <laughs> but that that's probably what it would be i need some training though 
Beautiful, beautiful. All right. No, you don't you don't you don't get to explain. You're just you're gonna do a dance performance. All right. And you're yes. gonna do some choreo choreographed dance. Yeah. Which um which is quite different to myself. I I do choreographed dance, but I'm not good at it because I don't have rhythm and uh or at least I don't have the same rhythm as everybody else here. So. <laughs> and I don't remember choreography well, so I tend to freestyle quite a lot. Um, and so that just goes horribly wrong. Uh, so I just try not to remember choreography at all. So we're quite opposite. So that's very cool that you remember choreography. That's very coordinated. Um, okay. So you're going to go, you're going to do this dance. You're going to do this, this choreographed number. Uh, and you are allowed to take one prop onto the stage with you. What would you take? Oh, a prop. Oh, okay. Of anything, something that would probably like enhance the dancing. So I don't know, like a boa or like part of a costume, maybe like a big like feather headdress thing. Maybe you know something very like I don't know something that would enhance the dance. <laughs> okay, I love that for you. I, I was just going to say, like some people have said, I would take a mug because that's like oh. a barrier. Some people said I would take a pen. Um, most people do tend to take something that is more uh, <laughs> akin to stage, which, you know, I have no judgment of because it's, <laughs> it's more, what, what I'm more interested in is, is the reason behind it. So do you have like a color for this headdress or this boa or something that's taking up space? Yeah, I would, I mean, I'm picturing pink. I don't know why, but I'm picturing pink. Like, I feel like, very feminine, very girly, you know, something that kind of like, I don't know, enhances the dance. <laughs> Beautiful. So what I, what I love about that is that what you're talking about is something that enables you to take up even more space. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about a, a pink headdress, it's making it taking up so much more space than your head does on its own. <laughs> Right, which is which is engaging and entertaining and connecting for your very intimate audience, all of whom you can see. Um, or you know, if it's a boa, I mean, boas. Unless you're talking about the little chicken feather things, which do shed everywhere and are, are, are <laughs> dangerous on a stage when you have heels on. Um, <laughs> so I've been there. Um, but but boas are actually really quite big. You know, and they're, and they're really, you know, because you can wrap them. So again, you'd be taking up more stage and more space. And I love that because that makes it an unapologetic, you know, confident. You've done your work, you've learned your choreo and you, and you, you know, it makes it just so much bigger than, yeah. than you going <laughs> on a stage without something now i'm i'm not a fan of people who take um uh props on stage just to hide behind them and they don't actually fit with the with uh -huh. the act i'm kind of like what was that for <laughs> <laughs> and that and that's a, that's a whole different kind of thing but but what you're talking about is something that can really just really energize your yeah, yeah. i feel like that makes you even more confident you know mm -hmm. if you're like grand and fabulous, then you're even more confident, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and when we feel grand and fabulous, when we feel beautiful, then it just, it adds to the whole excitement of it for the audience and the performer. And I love that. Okay. So you're about to go on stage. You've got your choreographed number and you've got your pink headdress <laughs> or boa. And what is your stage name? Oh, hmm. That is an interesting question. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's a hard one. <laughs> I promise you, you know. What's the name that came to you? Darcy. And the reason why <laughs> Darcy is because I have had people think my name was Darcy in the past and they, they got my name wrong. And I remember just going with it and letting them call me the wrong name because I didn't want to embarrass them. <laughs> So they would call me Darcy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And is it Darcy or is there like a, is it like, is there a name before it or after it? It's just Darcy. <laughs> just Darcy. I love just this Darcy. Darcy. Okay. So I'm going to tell you something. I don't normally talk about my own stage name uh, at this point because it's, I need to know. <laughs> it's understated. And, and a lot of times people don't really get it without that. And this is where the compare is so beautiful. When they bring you on the stage, they kind of set up your act, right? Of what, mm -hmm. you're, what you're, you know, they kind of get you in that, in that state of mind for that, where, where the, the dance is going to take you and, and, and the, the, the performer and so on. Um, so my name is Heather, but I uh, am mostly known as Helen and oh, wow. That is because that is my, well, my station is also Helen. So I'll come back to that in a second. I was called Helen for so long when I moved to the UK from Vancouver. And uh, I'm like, even when I would send an email, I would get, and it would be from Heather. It would say, <laughs> hi, Helen. And I'd be thinking, what, what why is this? <laughs> no, I, People used to say I was exaggerating it, but I would go into a Starbucks or any of those coffee places where they write your name in the cup and they would say, what's the name of the cup? And I would say, Heather, and they would write Helen. And I have so many witnesses of that where they're like, I wouldn't have believed it. Why aren't people hearing your name? They just <laughs> call you Helen. And so I'm known as Helen and I was Helen back for a long time because a lot of my performance was, was kind of almost therapy of the angst and the 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 difficulties that I had been through and it was my kind of fierce aggressive uh therapy of of explaining my story and I decided in 2020 that I didn't want that anymore I didn't I didn't want to it to be only about my past and I didn't want to be defined by that and so I I recreated uh my persona as also Helen and that is because uh I'm a mother I'm also a businesswoman I'm also uh, a widow. I'm also fierce. I'm also filthy. I'm also powerful. I'm also strong. You know, also anything, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and so, it's kind of become this very meta. So I'm also Helen, and it's also <laughs> Helen. So I'm also Helen, and that, so it depends on where you put the emphasis. And I, I, I love to mess. I love the the weirdness of that because it's like, and also Helen. Yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> then I can add anything to that list of what, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm also, I'm also now a franchisee. You know what I mean? I can add anything yeah. I want to that list. And it's not all about labels. It's also about ways that I describe myself and I identify myself. Mm. I love that. You know, 
So I, <laughs> I got very hung up on labels and then I left that and kind of went to, but what are the, what are the ways that I describe who I am? Mm. Uh, those are the also's. So I love so that. <laughs> I, I only share that story with you because you chose Darcy, which is <laughs> you embracing <laughs> yeah. Anything that I endure. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I love that though. And Darcy, do you have any connection to Darcy? Mm -mm. So I'd love it if you would play with this and then you can come back to me and, and let me know. And maybe it's okay. nothing and maybe it isn't. But when we have our inner critic, who's there going, what the hell are you getting up at four in the morning to do this? It's never going to work. Or people keep telling you it's never going to be a franchise. Or maybe mm -hmm. you should tell it, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you would, you know, and all these things and all these voices in our head, I always say we should name those. Ah. When I work with my clients, I ask them to name their imposter voice or their inner critic or however they relate to it. I ask them to name all of the different kind of parts of them that are important. And one of those parts that has to be important when you're building confidence is that momentum that is excitement, not fear, but excitement of when you're about to go on a stage. And everybody knows that feeling, even if they've never done it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The roller coaster. Um, and so, so for me, when I'm being kind of lazy or kind of like, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, come on, Helen, you got this. Like, I don't know to myself in a very different way when I'm talking to Helen. Helen is powerful, strong, fierce, unapologetic, mm -hmm. all those things that I need to be some days. I love that. And that is, that is, uh, I guess, I guess what I'm hoping is a gift for you that Darcy is somebody who goes, no, Darcy's badass. She would yeah. never stand for this bullshit. It does sound like a badass name too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Darcy's very yeah. strong. <laughs> Yeah, it really, really is. And it's funny because a lot of times people, the name that comes into their head is queen something and they don't want to say it because that's going to sound really egotistical or, I, and I, 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 that's why I knew, I knew there was a name for you <laughs> on your face <laughs> and you're like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know who she is inside of you that stands up for what you need to do. I love that. That is so, so funny. You are I'm good. Very excited <laughs> if you come back and let us know how you get on with that connection of that energy, having named it and being able to access it any time that you want to. Yeah, I really like that. That's good. You are good. <laughs> so are you. Thank you so much, Dory. Where can people reach you? So there's, there's two places. There's FranchisingSpot.com. And then also all the socials with the same name, or I also have a podcast. So that's She Turned Entrepreneur. Beautiful, beautiful. We'll put this in the show notes so that you can uh, all have access to Dory. If for some reason you cannot find Dory and you and you want to, please let me know. Uh, you can message me on Confidence Through Cabaret or as Heather Jean, and I will put you guys in touch because I deeply believe in collaboration. And if this is something that serves you, then please go and find Dory. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I'm so glad. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. And I feel like we're not done. I feel like there's more conversations to have at another day. 
Sounds good. To Thank me. you for being here with us. Thank you for sharing your story, your insight, and 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 going through this journey with us. Thank you. Thank you all for listening or watching or both. Uh, if you are on YouTube or on your podcast, if you could like and subscribe, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, and in the meantime, if you need anything, we are on all of the socials as Confidence Through Cabaret. Uh, except for Twitter, we are at YBYWYS. And I am on Clubhouse at Heather YBYW. YS and those six letters stand for, of course, it is your body and it is your world and it's your stage. Take up space and own it. Have some fun with it. Bye for now. Bye.